0: You're listening to an ODI live event podcast. You can find out more about events and research by the Overseas Development Institute by visiting our website, odi.org.
1: Yesterday morning, I, I started off suggesting there was this, this fork in the road. There was a, a way that we could be thinking about PFM and service delivery whereby we simply continue to use the same tools, but we use them better, and the assumption is that service delivery will improve as a result. That's one hypothesis, as Andrew put it. I think a second hypothesis is that actually, if we're thinking about service delivery and genuinely thinking about uh, the needs of services that then might actually need to be a more substantive rethink about the way we think about the role of public spending, the way we conceptualize public financial management now i don 't think we 've resolved this this kind of this fork over the past two days. I think what we have seen is actually just people do think about the world quite differently um, and in some ways these aren 't necessarily new issues there's always a kind of classic tension between uh, finance ministries and spending ministries but i do wonder whether we could still be doing better all the same in having a more of a meeting of minds and so i suppose what the, the, the challenge i want to put to my my panelists here is really to think kind of pragmatically where do we go from here how can we help in this meeting of minds to address the service delivery problems that I think we all care about here. And so to do that, I have here an illustrious panel. Many of you, you've seen already over the past two, uh, past two days. We have Thomas Feiger here from the EU, um, Lorraine Hawkins from the Health Foundation, Chizum Okachewkwu from the Gates Foundation, Sheye Abimbola from um, Sydney University, and Marco Cangiano, who's a senior research associate at ODI. And so I'm going to ask uh, each of them to give their reflections on, yeah, how how do we shift this forward, Thomas? So what, what do you take away, take back to Brussels?
2: Yeah, thank you, Mark. Yeah, so um, I'm Thomas Feige, European Commission. Um, and uh, just as a background, um, I'm uh, in the Budget Support Unit, as uh, uh, some of you may know, the European Commission is the, the world's largest uh, uh, d- budget support donor on grants and um, uh, in that context, um, uh, public finance management is one important aspect because it is one of the eligibility criteria um And um, I'm very grateful for the ODI to uh, to having organized this conference and to having invited me. Uh, I think it was very interesting for me um, and um, it' uh, it was very useful to put uh, PFM in the wider uh, uh, context and uh, broaden the perspective a bit. I think what uh, what I take from the conference is... Um, um <coughs> Uh, with regard to the to the three initial questions, I think uh, what we have to keep in mind, uh, PFM still is necessary and it's a basis, but it's a little bit like uh, macroeconomic stability for implementation of national uh, poverty reduction strategies. It is a necessary condition, but it does uh, uh, by no means ensure um, uh, success. But if you don't have macroeconomic stability, then your policies will fail. And uh, with PFM it's a bit the same. If PFM systems are not in place or are um, uh, if you uh, are not functioning well, uh, you will have trouble with service delivery, but uh, good PFM systems at central level do not ensure uh, service delivery down the road. So, I think we have to keep this in mind. In this uh, context, of course, for us, um, <coughs> having a basic a baseline of a PFM system is um, is important and necessary. Um, We are a strong supporter of the PIFA framework as a a diagnostic tool, um, because it is the only uh, tool that really gives you an overview over the uh, entire uh, PFM cycle. Um, This being said, I think, um, and the conference has shown, is that uh, we should not uh, stop there. We, we will. Uh, we may have a diagnostic, but we have to dig deeper, and we have to dig deeper into the into the causes and uh, and the consequences. And I think um, this is one important point where we need to think more uh, in the future in terms of how we translate diagnostics into PFM reform plans and how we design processes that are more inclusive and that bring together the, the different actors. Um, um, the conference for me, there were two very strong takes uh, that came out uh, each time that war, that were two disconnects. One disconnect was between, the, uh, between uh, the ministries of finance and the ministries uh, the sector ministries. And the second was between the central level and the local level. And this is, I think, uh, these are the areas where we need to to work on uh, more. So, um, not look at PFM only as a technocratic issue, there are certain technical things that need to be improved, but also look at it from the process angle. Um, That means, um, (coughs) how can we encourage uh, these two levels to interact more uh, and to understand each other. And I think one thing is, of course, uh, to agree on common objectives. Here we were talking about uh, PFM PFM objectives, uh, preserving funds, and we were talking about service delivery objectives. But what is uh, service delivery, but what are the objectives of both? I mean, service delivery is not an objective in itself either. We may deliver the the wrong services. So somehow, uh, in the conference, we did never mention the Sustainable Development Goals. So somehow, we have to see uh, what are the the joint objectives of the the two sides, and agree on the national policies and how to implement it and what are the constraints. So that n- means more inclusive processes, um, and. And this has to be uh, country-specific, of course, um, and I think maybe this is also an area for further action research here. Um, that also links up to the question of accountability in the terms of accountability uh, for um, uh, account-based accountability. So, uh, I think uh, the, uh, we, need, we also need this dialogue at the local level and not only at the, at the central levels. Um, With regard to diagnostic tools, we discussed um, spending reviews and other tools and I think there were uh, very uh, interesting discussions on that, the PETs, spending reviews and so on. And um, I think this is uh, really something we should explore, Um, but there is also an issue here of how to manage that the proliferation of diagnostic tools. We have to prioritize them and we have to sequence them. That was one important conclusion also of a recent PIFA review we did. And then finally, on the uh, decentralized level, I I want to say that uh, important aspect to explore further and to look further into decentralization processes. we had yesterday the presentation about the uh, PIFA um, uh, module, uh, the subnational level module, I think um, the voluntary module on service delivery, so I hope that uh, all of you are going to look at that and provide inputs. Um, I think that could be um, a possibility also to, to harness that and to look further into these issues.
3: <laughs> okay, uh, Okay. let me jump in. Uh, I think, again, thanks for, the eye for organizing all this. Uh, we always try to put together things, people in the room to discuss this issue. To some extent, to overcome what I call a kind of a fragmentation silo within, we all keep using the expression PFN community. I still have to figure out what that is. So, let me start by saying I'm a little bit concerned this dichotomy, and it was clear in Jacqueline's chart. Where is Jacqueline? Uh, this PFM versus service delivered, I, I found it kind of artificial, if not plainly wrong. So public financial management is about managing public resources to deliver goods and service. If it doesn't do that, what else can it do? So going back to Andy's sort of initial point, I think we still failed on Article one. So we still have and I've heard from many of you failure insistent to make sure the cash is available when payments are due. Now until this is addressed, and this is part of what you call PFM architecture pipelines, wiring, whatever you want to call it, the service deliver will suffer. Simple as that. Problem number two. And we try basically, certainly personally, I tried for the last 10 years or so, to come up at least with a unified, not uniform, view (laughs) of a PFM, again, I use the word architecture for lack of a better word. Some of you may come up with a better word. So it's about role of government. So what is ultimate governance about? Again, as I said, it's providing goods or services that our collectivity needs for various purposes, public goods market failure, and so on and so forth. Uh, as Thomas just mentioned, the very fact that then, of course, I've spent 25 years in an institution which is a little bit obsessed with macro stability and that sustainability. But again, that's a precondition. That's a necessary, certainly not sufficient. And again, it's a means to an end. To do what? To provide goods and services. So again, let's be clear on what we mean by this. Because otherwise, we risk reproduce this silo mentality within the profession, or certainly within this room, which exists in governments. was the way most governments were? They have this silo which reflect the political system. Observation number two, and has come out with a lot, in a lot of presentation, is a lot of failure at the service delivery level. It's a political game. So budget, PFM, again, in the end, uh, the overly simplified view, perhaps, is just the wiring, the plumbing. What goes in comes from political choices. A lot of what I've heard is failure of set priorities, is failure of planning. And I think collectively we may have a bit of a responsibility. A lot of countries, we kind of destroyed the planning function, and we thought to replace it with NTBF, That's simply false, and has proved to be wrong. So these failures are reflected. The most glaring case, which has come up in virtually every panel, is decentralization. Decentralization in most countries, in my experience, follows the political agenda. So it was kind of interesting to see, here from many people, including on this panel, how you push this down to the district level and all to realize it doesn't really work. A, because we haven't solved problem number one, B, because it just doesn't work. There is a dimension, there is a capacity constraint, there are IT issues, there are all sorts of issues. So you kind of back up, and you come back to something which is Midway or gray area or whatever. In some cases, you go back all the way. You re-centralize certain things. So these are all kind of a dynamic process that is still pretty much playing. Uh, reflecting all these, there are tensions, and this I think this came up in, in in this in the session discussing performance. We we kind of we like the words uh, kind of responsibility accountability, uh, but. We also want sort of compliance because there's a sort of a risk aversion circuit within governments. Now, responsibility is also about taking risk, exercising discretion, do it and make the right choice. But the compliance machi- machinery that we as citizens want to be in place goes against that. So, incentives are really kind of cl- crashing one against the other. And we end up blaming auditors or accountants or those in charge of procurement because they prove to be kind of a force against delivering what ultimately we want to deliver. So I think we need a bit of a reflection on that and try to line up a little bit because we are all asking these things. Particularly, and I'll leave it at that, we may come back at this, particularly from international institutions and the so-called donors community. I think we have Pretty good share of responsibilities in feeding these tensions within governments.
1: Thank you, Marco.
4: Susan. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, I I think Marco just did a great job of summarising some of the things that you know I highlighted from this uh, conversation that we've had over the past two days, Um, and I'd like to perhaps focus my my response more about like how is the foundation grappling with this internally in terms of the way that it works and kinds of programs that it supports. Uh, But before I go into that, I want to share with you guys and somewhat amusing conversation that I had with Mark prior to this panel session. So, you know, recognizing that there is a dichotomy uh, between the service delivery uh, community and the PFM community, and however you sort of conceive of both, but, but you know, it's come up that there's this t- silos and dichotomies. And Mark said, for, you know, for the, pi- final, sorry, for the final session, I think it would be great to bring um, people from the different sides of the table, so, so to say, uh, to sort of reflect back on the conversation. And he said, Chisholm, would you love to speak about PFM? And I said, hmm, that's interesting. I work for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And I think that if you introduce me as you know, Chisholm from BMGF, Speaking about PFM, some people might find that a bit confusing or odd at the very least, because the foundation is in many ways associated with its work in the health sector, in financial service for the poor, agriculture, um, but I think maybe not so much in PFM, so to say. Um, but I think that the foundation's evolution in this regard um, in many ways reflects the conversations that we've been having over the past few days. Um, you know, in the course, the foundation has. Huge um, ambitions. Um, And in the course of our work, we are increasingly recognizing that there are sticky bottlenecks with regards to the rules and management of public finance that cannot be ignored. And so, for the past, you know, I'd say maybe seven years or so, there is a team still growing um, that has been. Sort of wearing this PFM hat within the foundation, and in many ways trying to uh, internally and I think also um, externally to serve as this bridge that Jacqueline had mentioned between both communities and so I'd say that I'm not necessarily here speaking from a PFm perspective um, I'm speaking from someone who sort of sits um, on both sides of of the table um, but yes you know going back to to the work that we do within the foundation um, Perhaps you know make this quite concrete um, with the work that you know we're doing in in countries. And uh, one of the countries that I work on is Nigeria. Um, our program teams are often um, really troubled by issues around the flow of cash, which we talked about uh, yesterday. One of the things that you know. Um, comes up often is that, yes, resources are allocated, but that doesn't mean much. and I think you know we talked about it's not sufficient to have uh, sufficient resources resources actually financing has to be predictable, um, and it also has to be reliable. Um, in Nigeria, I think there's a place where it's pretty obvious that those actually three conditions actually don't hold, if you look at it in the health sector. Um, when it comes to the predictability and the reliability of of financing. There are myriad of reasons, but one that is perhaps most glaring is the fact that the budget, in and of itself, is just not a—it's not credible. Um, and so that's something that we've been trying to, you know, work with the Ministry of Finance to address. And I think that you know we've taken various approaches that recognise that there are incentive issues, that there is a complex political economy um, that determines and defines why the budget itself is not credible. Um, and you know, so you know, we've worked with partners who are here. Neil um, Cabri, for example, has been working with the Budget Office around these issues, um, using approaches that are adaptive, um, so to say. And I think that you know, of course, it's still very much early to say, but there's some promising developments, um, so to say. Um, and so for us, this is these are some of the ways that we're sort of grappling with these issues within the foundation, but also um, at the country level. However, beyond that, we do recognize that, again, because you know, in comparison to, um, I think when Marco was talking about donors, we're probably a small, in the PFM space, we're not as huge as other players, you know, like perhaps the IMF, right? Um, and so for us, we recognize that it's important to continue to have these kinds of conversations to bridge at a more international level um, these silos. And so we very much welcome the conversation that we're having here um, with ODI. The only thing I would say before I wrap up is that I do hope that when we do all gather here again for a 2.0 version of this conversation, we would go very quickly to practical, real solutions to these problems um, and how we can actually get um, to that. thanks.
1: Lorraine, do you have the practical, real solutions?
5: For <laughs> Five minutes. Five minutes. I mean, I the, the. I mean, Mark. When we spoke about this before, you, you, I think you also wanted me to tap my.
1: Yeah, please. Considerable
5: yeah, so. um, age in this um, working at this sort of interface of PFM and health, um, and I suppose. Uh, in doing that, I suppose I'd like to start with a, a comment from um, Kuram, which I, which really resonated, which is that PFM, the, the plumbing side of PFM systems should just work. And the people in both finance ministries and health ministries who are working on the more policy aspects of um, resource allocation and public sector performance um, shouldn't really need to know much about it. Their interfaces with that system are minimal. When I worked in the New Zealand Treasury in the, you know, decades uh, too long ago to mention without embarrassment, the system worked. I didn't know how the plumbing worked, but it did work. Um, Bills were paid on time, there weren't budget execution bottlenecks, the budget was credible, Um, the accounts could be trusted, Um, and when we we sort of upgraded and modernised those systems, and I was a program manager in the Ministry of Health, my very nice management accountant would come to me and say, Lorraine In the monthly reports and quarterly reports that I give to you and your division, how can I present the data better? What kind of questions do you want to ask of the data and can we assist with the analysis? I love that man. Um, And so, but I mean, I think that so, if things work well, all of you, the PFM types that are on the plumber side of the business, who are mostly accountants or FMIS experts, I'm immensely grateful for what you do, because it's wonderful not to have to think about that and not to have to interact with you. Um, uh, and I mean that in the nicest <laughs> possible way, at least in a professional context. Um, uh, so, But I mean, how, how has all of the effort that's gone into getting the plumbing right worked in, over the years that I've been working in developing countries? On my optimistic days, and I'm now working mostly in Europe and Central Asia, Eastern Europe and Central Asia, in that region, pretty much in all countries, the plumbing works, um, and the, there's even in, even in some of the low low middle income and low income ones, the plumbing more or less works, um, and budget credibility is pretty good when they go through periods of economic and political stability with no wars um, or natural disasters, um, and so. In those countries, you, yes, yeah. Even though there's there's capacity constraints and resource limits, with very good technical assistance, and it's taken you know what more, more than twenty or thirty years, they, the plumbing more or less works. And if you're uh, working in the health sector, you don't have to worry too much about that side of things. But Uh, And and one of the things I've noticed about how health finance people working in that region are now working, and this goes for the health agencies like WHO, not just the more financially-oriented agencies like the World Bank, Um, the health people and the the PFM and um, Ministry of Finance community, I think, have more constructive relationships and engagement in that region than in any other that I work in um, or have worked in. Um, And it's partly because the plumbing issues... More or less out of the way, Um, and as a result of that, a lot of the things that health people um, and um, PFM people used to disagree about, we can now agree about. Health people can urge governments to use the, you know, make sure their health insurance funds are on budget, and that their payments are executed through the treasury system, and that they're not outside the system or with parallel systems, and. You know, donors have been willing to use country systems to a greater extent in some of those countries, um, where their own policies will allow it. So all of that's a relatively optimistic story. It's not a perfect story because you still see, I think, the um, when it comes to the sort of resource allocation set of issues, there is tension, and there's always going to be a natural and, a, and healthy tension between finance. People dealing with the budget constraint and, the, and the, the advocates for efficiency, if you like, in the system and health ministries, but I'm not seeing help, I'm not seeing the health agencies in countries or the health international agencies seriously engaging with the efficiency agenda, um, and I'm. Uh, and, and in many countries, the level of capacity and understanding of the finance ministry um, of health reform, health financing, health policy mm-hmm. issues, and the required institutions is not there. There are good country examples where it is there, and in those countries you do see a, a productive and appropriate dialogue. But, I mean, on the whole, it's a pretty optimistic scenario um, with you know, a small number of, of country exceptions. In those country exceptions, um, what's gone wrong? Um, to some extent, I think there's some countries that look unlucky because it does take incredibly good practical TA with a degree of continuity in a country to sort those basic issues, um, and in some of those countries have just been unlucky with the TA and the resources that they've had. Um, Others, but I mean, I think a bigger factor is a number of those, in a number of those countries, the reasons why even the basics are not solved are um, primarily political and to do with the operation of kind of major stakeholder interests in the country. And there's, so there's a set of people that do not want perfectly fixable problems to be fixed. Um, and the, I suppose one of the things that I don't, it, that w- was touched on actually in our first session. Um, Um, by and Roy, that was was something we didn't really come back to. And I I think in many countries, some of the lagging countries in that region and many countries in other regions, the fact that perfectly fixable practical problems on the plumbing side are not being fixed isn't just because we don't know how. It's because we don't know how to tackle the people who don't want to do it. Um, And I I think we do need more... um, I think we one one. I think we, we do need to do more think do more thinking work and research on how to work in those environments, um, and I think we we obviously I think and I think not, most people in this room would are perfectly well aware of it. We we can't just stick to a good practice. You know, one good practice model is, the, uh, is what we pursue everywhere. In some places, we're going to have to come up with more creative ways of addressing some of those political economy bottlenecks. Um, so I think we started this session on with that emphasis on politics, and I, I think we need to keep that in view as we finish it. Thank okay. you.
1: Great. Thank you,
6: Lorraine. Shai So I've, I've been asked to, to be the academic on the panel, um, <laughs> and what I thought I'd do um, is put on my hat as a journal editor, and in that role I often advocate to academics, um, usually in health, about the kinds of studies and research and evidence that I want to see in the journal and I want to see in the literature. And I'm going to try and do the same thing with, with you, um, whilst not pretending at all that I'm across all your literature, so I'm judging what is perhaps in the literature in your field by the conversations that we've had yesterday and today. And um, as I began in in the morning today, I think that there is a lot of value if PFM is going to influence service delivery. There will be a lot of there's a lot of value in in taking complexity seriously, and beginning from f- from that premise, uh, and to I think um, not necessarily be too bogged down about um, trying to answer the question as to whether an intervention works or not. Right, most PFM interventions would work somewhere, at some point, um, somehow. And I think the, the real question is to understand where those places are, what circumstances make it work in those kinds of places, what stops it from working, and how does it perform in the long term. Um, I, I think that there is a lot of value in taking those kinds of questions very seriously in the literature. Um, there is, um, and to do that, it would be important to take both quantitative data seriously, but also qualitative data seriously. My sense is that there's a lot of, of tacit, buried knowledge in people's heads um, that come out when they are poked, uh, uh, sort of, or when they feel they need to say something, again, judging from the conversations yesterday and today. Uh, and I feel that those kinds of knowledge need to be documented one way or another. Um, people have a lot of experience in different countries. There's a lot of case study. Um, uh, that could be synthesized with experiences, and I think that there's a lot of value in in taking that seriously. Again, I'm not sure if, if I'm speaking to researchers or not, but if I'm not speaking to researchers, I'm speaking to people who give money to researchers to do research, and you could do that. Um, I also think um, that there is um, a lot that could be done around understanding how learning happens within countries. There, there is a I get a sense that countries are still seen as a black box. Um, And there's a lot of agency within countries. There's a lot of things that happen within countries. And there's a lot of learning that happens between um, segments of a country and across time. And it would be good to also um, find a way to to document that and and to turn that into a research question, if possible. Because that's how you fix those kinds of small, persistent problems. It's it's getting how a system works from the inside. and also, uh, my last point is, um, again, going to the donor question and the, the, there's, there's a, the, the, the dominant narrative in the room yesterday and today comes from a donor perspective. And again, I don't think, not in health, but certainly not in PFM as well, I don't think that that um, relationship is sufficiently prob- problematized. I struggle with pronouncing that word. Um, there is a lot to learn and to understand about how how that process works. You go into a country, you do stuff. How does that work, right? Um, I, I, this is something I say to other people as well, right? We we don't ask that question enough. I don't think we ask it at all, right? To say, how does that process work? How do you get a country to own something? How do you get a country to run with something? Um, there, there was this nice example of of the pets the the. So we, which wasn't as useful as it was objectively. It wasn't used by the country. It's a good question to actually you know, turn that into a thing to study. Um, and I wish that th- there's a lot more self-reflection um, that allows that kind of question to be asked and answered and that allows um, people in this community to feed their experiences and their failures and successes into answering those kind of questions.
1: Thank you, all the panelists. What we're going to do now, we have about... uh, I'm going to take about one round of comments. One last round of comments. Anyone that wants to come back to any of the panelists, throw a grenade uh, (laughs) um, at any of the the panelists. Anything that you feel that you would have liked to have said over the last two days that you're you're, burning inside that you feel someone should have said? Uh, Any last challenges? Um, and then I will give the sort of panelists one minute at the, the end. So we've probably got about 10 15 minutes for comments. Uh, Andrew, and, and then the, le- the lady next to um,
7: Good afternoon again. Um, firstly, thank you for allowing me to speak so much. I've had more than my share of interventions, so I hope you all excuse me. Um, I just, firstly, been, I very much enjoyed the comments of the panel, and I think there is a sort of uh, Uh, consensus emerging to some extent, but I'd like to pitch it in the sense of an answer to the question Mark posed at the beginning of our session yesterday. You know, if we are at a fork in the road, is it the case that we continue with the sorts of PFM tools that we have been working on, but we just do it better? Or is it the case that we need a new paradigm? My answer to that is that we need a new kind of institutional paradigm. So it's not necessarily that the technical tools of public finance management, medium term planning, program based budgeting, performance budgeting, devolution of of, uh, financial responsibility, those are all very useful tools and I'm not sure that there's any need to change them or to dump them. Although I did say some nasty things about program budgeting uh, in the right way, it can be a useful, useful tool. So my sense is that the tools are good But we need a new institutional paradigm in, in, I think, three senses. Firstly, that I think the old idea that ministries of finance and sector ministries should compete and be rivals should just be dumped once and for all. You know, in the UK, the uh, Her Majesty's Treasury has always had the tradition that if a sector minister wants to speak to somebody in HMT, then she or he can only speak to somebody more junior so if you're the Minister of Education, you will hardly ever speak to the Chancellor of the Exchequer. you speak to a junior minister. If you're a director in the Ministry of Health and you want to speak to someone, you'll be met by an assistant director. And it would be done systematically, I'm not sure if HMT still does it, in order to reassert you know, this, this uh, rivalry and this uh, hierarchy. So one thing I think which has come across from all our discussions is that that's no way of working. You know, collaboration and working together and giving permanent visas to people like Seiya to be part of the PFM world <laughs> uh, is is definitely the the way forward and I think most of us in the room probably agree on that it would be very nice I think to, to sort of concretize that as one step. The other I think is that PFM ought to be more analytical. Um, I agree with what Lorraine is saying. For too long we have focused on plumbing and yes a Sometimes plumbing doesn't always work, as Marco was pointing out. But increasingly, we ought to be solving the big policy questions. And we ought to be using, in particular, big data and the technical tools that we now have to have more sophisticated types of analysis than we used to. And, um, you know, it's high time that we use those techniques better and that that should be much more at the center of what PFM uh, and PFM thinking does. And then finally, to pick up, uh, I think, on a, a phrase that um, a common friend of many of ours often uses, uh, Matt Andrews at the Kennedy School of Government, we ought to be much more problem driven. Uh, PFM should be solving the bottleneck problems that uh, Chisholm and I think and others were, serving, were, were addressing. And it shouldn't be sort of a sui generis thing that, that <laughs> creates its own solutions for its own problems. Uh, uh, we need to respond to the problems generated by service delivery and make sure that PFM is there. So I think a different institutional paradigm, but not necessarily new tools. Thank you. Thank
8: you. Uh, Bitch is again from the Partnership for African Social and Governance Research, Nairobi. And um, just taking us back again to the bridge. And I see a human factor on that bridge. So what is it we are going to do to add value in this uh, human being, in terms of character, in terms of you know the right attitudes, the right values, and therein, as an educationist, again, I see the unity of the sciences. You know, the STEM, the social sciences, the arts and humanities. So let us you know focus on building holistic uh, competencies in our graduates, in the workers, the ethics that we need, and. Therefore, this will be a solution, I think, in terms of bridging the gap and unifying the public, uh, the p- public finance management systems, and the service delivery. Thank you,
9: um, Peter Bolding, uh, an independent consultant. Um, I'd just like to put in a plea for some of the resources that haven't been addressed and used and mentioned in the past uh, sessions, and and they might have helped a bit. Uh, The Chartered Institute of Public Finance and Accountancy, SIPFA, of which I'm a member, has got a whole system approach to PFM, which I think those that haven't looked at it on their website, it's freely available, can do so, and it covers the the entire system and well worth looking at. Um, On the accounting and audit side of things, I certainly think that management accounts have been mentioned once thank you the only and management accounts should be available to any management and to be coordinated and compiled in a way that would help you to make decisions and public financial management as far as we're concerned in in sipha is to um, provide management information for better decision making which should enable better uh, problem solving and better delivery of service so management accounts are important to all of that as our annual audits uh, for the, for external users and and I- annual accounts in the same way um internal audit as well needs to be addressed and, and hasn't been mentioned at all but internal audit is a, a management tool that you can all use in any entity and organization and if you haven't got one you know organize it so that you do and therefore that will help um address many of the issues that are the bottlenecks that occur particularly value for money issues so i think there are, there's lots of stuff that's already been done already well well established in new zealand is a luminous example of of, of pfm but Australia, too, and Canada, US, uh, UK, and Scandinavian countries.
10: Thank you. Um, David Houle from Oxford Policy Management. Um, It's been interesting listening to the discussion and the frequent use of the plumbing analogy, uh, which I use with with my own team and my own children to try and explain what public finance is. And if you think of a plumber, when a plumber comes into your house, they come to you and they say, what's the problem? They don't come to you and say, you need a new boiler and you need to sort out that door and you need a new thermostat because that's what they look like these days. They don't do that. So somebody asked for practical real solutions and and this, this discussion, this seminar has been very helpful in crystallizing for me um, the way in which some of the large scale programs that we work on in public finance are changing. And I've, I've started to observe this um, in Pakistan where we do quite a lot of work. We've just completed a large program for, for DFID at subnational level. It's a PFM program. The clients are the departments of finance and planning and the central agencies of finance, the accountant general, the auditor general, and so on. But the objectives of the program were to demonstrate improved access to and satisfaction with basic services at provincial level. We're just about to start a program for the EU in the same country, different provinces. The objectives of that PFM program, which is centered on the Department of Finances and Planning in Sindh and Balochistan, the objectives are to move the SDGs. I don't know how we're gonna do that. But what we are going to do is we're going to walk in to the Department of Finance and the Department of Health and the Department of Education and say, what's the problem? So maybe that's the sort of practical, real solution that certainly I'm taking away as a, a different way of approaching PFM reform, rather than, as we have done in the past, saying, well, actually, all the PIFA indicators are going to move from D to B over the next five years, job done. That's my takeaway. Thank you.
11: Zahir Ali from Icarus. My question actually, uh, my comment actually builds on what David just said. And I come from a a development practitioner background. And and when I uh, came to this conference, uh, were wo- wo- working on multiple PFM p- programs around the world is that I wanted to get a view that is the solution in building the capacity of the central ministry of finance and to get them more aware about health and education and uh, water and all of these issues, or is it that I work with the ministry of health and education and build their capacity in in how to do a budget the the view i would have from increasing autonomy and program based budgeting is that you know uh, there there's a great a greater need to work with the ministries of health to make sure that they understand the the budgeting process and that there is a greater understanding of the plumbing, that's there.
0: Just to say, um, I think I can very much agree with um, what Andrew said about the need for a a different institutional paradigm and, um, and, and sort of link that to the problem driven. What I'd like to do is a kind of a plea, because in many ways I think in in PFI or in whatever it was called before, I know that there are examples of processes that were collaborative processes between uh, ministries of finance and other ministries or line ministries, or and I mean. Um, what Andrew and Tagai were telling us is, is, an, is an example of that, uh, but there are other examples, and that's not a BSI or ODI or PFI example, but there are also examples that are in-house, and I think if we, if we could harness, um, like, do a kind of sociological analysis, like Seiya was uh, talking about, about, okay, how did they work? What worked? What didn't work in that? Where did it work? Why did it work? Um, and how far did it move the paradigm, and then sort of try to draw some lessons from that. Um, that's all.
12: So my name is David Nabena with the Nigeria Governors Forum. I want to piggyback on what Shea said, which I think is very, very important, and. It also relates with um, your question on status quo versus a new paradigm. Uh, So the same question. So you have a PFM reform. It works in one jurisdiction and it doesn't work in another. And the question is, is it a sufficient condition for better service delivery? So if it's not, so what should we be asking? Should we ask uh, some social questions, political questions? Um, So should we still focus on the PFM toolkit, or we should expand the box and ask some new questions. I think it's important for us to you know, look beyond just PFM because it's not enough. So what kind of conversations can we have? What are questions can we put into uh, uh, the solutions that we we'll put forward that can make better service delivery work?
13: I think, first of all, I'd like to say that I don't come from the PFM world traditionally, but, you know, I'm going to stop saying that after this, <laughs> because we're not looking at a dichotomy, but really how we can link. And when I was invited here, I was very excited to to see the link um, between service delivery and financial management. And I must say, in... In the early sessions, it it still seemed like there were very strong silos and we had PFM and a lot of this plumbing uh, terminology. But I'm glad to hear that the plumbing somehow is fixed. Of course, it may not be completely fixed, but it's not the issue. Um, I think that's really good news And, and going back to what uh, several people have said, how can we then move forward? Is it looking at the service delivery perspective and ask, what is the problem? So if we can come from service delivery and then support it with, with the plumber, instead of the plumber coming and saying, okay, we have these tools that we can use for you to solve your service delivery problems, I think that we need to to dare to come from the service delivery point of view, which will be different in different countries and different contexts because we have had and we all know that there are different political values, the different systems, and therefore if we dare to come from that perspective and see how PFM can work in that, in that context and not assume that the plumber has the solutions to everyone, but come from <coughs> what is the problem. I think that um, finally hearing that today is is for me a, a big step forward.
1: So Ed, five, uh, Leslie, Marcel,
14: Thank you very much. Um, Edward Hedger occasionally organized one or two of these conferences as well. So congratulations to the, the team. Uh, an analogy would just sort of occur to me as I was thinking about this. I don't know if anyone caught the BBC Wreath lectures this year where the retiring um, Supreme Court judge Jonathan Sumption talked about this notion of laws expanding empire. And he was talking about the idea that where issues that have become, politi- policy issues that have become politically difficult to resolve have been pushed over to the legal system for the courts to adjudicate because that trends to sort of create some sort of almost objective criteria on what are actually essentially political questions. And it caused me to sort of wonder whether there's a narrative here about the question about PFM's expanding empire and how one might think about that. Because I'm left um, probably a little bit conflicted um, on this question of this sort of relationship um, about PFM and service delivery and whether it's the right answer is to remove the silo and permit just an expansion into the territory partly because that deals with the silo problem by definition and partly because it might be that there are all these great tools that could be applied. On the other hand, there is the risk that suddenly I think the question that might have been asked or has been asked before, well what isn't PFM then? And I wonder um, whether as a sort of Resolutional reconciliation, the practical sense is, I mean it's another riff on the sort of the, the problem-driven thing. But a mental check: if anyone's talking about PFM reform for the sake of PFM reform, stop. If there isn't something that's consequential, mean, it picks up Marco's point about for goods and services. But you know, we all know when we're doing it, but suddenly we've tipped into make this system look shinier because we like the shininess of it. So just it's a, it's a sort of a simple corrective device. So I think we don't deploy often enough. Um, and I mean, linking to that is there's always some sort of policy purpose to it the other side just um, I suppose be careful that we by removing the boundary we don't I mean it's probably rather nice as a map of the world there but I mean if that's PFM's expanding empire have we got too far as well so I'm just left with a I mean I don't probably I wish it was a, a more practical point but I'm left a little bit conflicted on that tension
15: a very quick word to say thank you to all the organisers. I think, as usual, this has been a very stimulating event and a great opportunity to catch up with the uh, old friends and make some new friends, so um, congratulations on the kind of dynamics of the thing and the content. Um, I just wanted to make a point, uh, a theme that I think has come up repeatedly in different discussions, and maybe we don't pay, I personally think, we don't pay enough attention. To it is actual capability, um, because we're introducing new tools and techniques, and we talk about processes, but we don't think very much about the people who are actually responsible. Who uh, about the plumber and how well he's trained? Um, whether he can deal with all these new, newfangled tools that are presented to him. So. I would suggest that we actually as a PFM community need to pay more attention to the human resource management aspects of PFM.
16: Uh, Hello, Leslie Cole from Budget Strengthening Initiative in Liberia. And I guess my comment is coming from a slightly different direction where I think really, for me, something that would be interesting to look at coming out of this is... In a lot of contexts, development partners have a massive, massive role in service delivery, and I think it'd be really interesting to think about what are some of the lessons for them in their design, because you know ultimately they want sustainability, they want handover, but you know in the course of in the course of all of these various conversations we've had, for example, in the hospital, you have the parallel funding structures. How do they interact with each other? Um, I've seen the World Bank develop multiple PFM systems that are actually not mutually reinforcing but mutually destructive. You know. You see atrophying of systems because they want short-term results, but then when they leave, yeah, all of, all of those kinds of things, which in certain contexts, I think is a is, uh, potential for a, an impact um, to try and have them think about the design the design and the relationship between all of the issues that have been identified here.
17: Uh, thank you. Actually, my mine was was triggered with my sister once again. And uh, I'm happy that now she will be, uh, not saying that she doesn't come from the PFM background, but <laughs> now she has got everything uh, <laughs> as far as the PFM is concerned. And why I'm saying that one? Um, actually, when we were designing our PFM running no, our strategy, I kept advocating that the PFM should be there foundation for any and every sector because whatever you are doing is going to require the PFM context. Why I'm saying this one. In any sector that we are we've been talking here, being the health, being the education, you need to plan it properly because at the end, whatever you are doing you need to plan. You need to have plans. So uh once you've planned you need to ensure that Whatever plans you have, you can cost them. It's not, it doesn't mean that you need to be a PFM person so that you, you understand that one. So once you have your plans, or how, once you've costed them, then you can communicate them easily to the PFM uh, pra- practitioners. Then finally, uh, not finally, but you need to to understand the mechanism, not mechanism as such, but you need to, to ensure light spending. I've been struggling back home when I'm dealing with uh, doctors because all researchers they say, you know, we, ha- we need the money. We got this uh, grant, so we need to spend it. But I say, no, you spend it. But there is principles that you can spend, but there are principles. If you got this grant for A, B, C, D, uh, and the grant hit the uh, the treasury bank account, we need to transfer the. The, the 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 laws and responsibility the 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 principles are are fulfilled. So then finally you need to accept or any person in any sector need to to accept that you need to be accountable because at the end the accountability should be enforced whatever the sector, being education, health, agriculture. The accountability should be enforced. Finally, the last one. Yeah. <laughs> The light tools, because I've seen uh, a non-PFM having a light system. Jessie, she told about that system. is a good system, so having system that can support whatever we're doing will help us to remain accountable. It means will help us to be transparent. So I, I may say that PFM, at the end, can't be divorced with other sectors, but they should work hand-in-hand. Hand. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Okay, let's uh, let's go back in the, the the order that well we'll do reverse order actually this time. Shay, why don't you start? And then, um, you're one not, of my you're f- not
6: ready. No, no. <laughs> one of my take home um, uh, realizations is that I think Nigeria is about to be dethroned from its reputation of being people who talk too much. And I think we are losing that to Rwandans. <laughs> I think we are losing that status very quickly to Rwandans. Um, That's <laughs> it. Thank you, it's been, it's been great hanging out with you guys. Um, thank you very much. <laughs> uh,
1: Marco, where you go? Oh.
3: Okay, lots of stuff. Uh, now Andy left the room, do we need a new party? No. Uh, we have a lot, enough tools we have to work harder, try to break these artificial barriers. Uh, I cannot think what the new product might look like, so I insist on that. Just for the speed of disclosure, I've been working with Matt Andrews for the last seven years, so I certainly belong on the school that has to be problem driven, has to be adaptive. Uh, And and human capital actually is is key in all this. Uh, I may have given the impression, in in my analogy with architecture, that PFM, there are commonalities, but if I look at PFM system around the globe, even what we think of the good ones, they all look different. They have a lot of common elements. But Sweden looks definitely different from Australia, and Australia looks different from South Africa and from Chile, and so on and so forth. So there's ample room within what we have to break this, this, this barrier. And again, the human factor is key at the end of the day. There is a lot of things. Can, we can use the technology better, of course. Often, the technology drive the processes. Should really be the other way around. The strategy and the priority should come first. But what we're still missing, and is reflected a little bit in this room, there's no, that goes back to those of you who are actually in academia. Oh, <laughs> There's no PFM cadre, or or whatever you want to call it. I teach often in in, in public policy schools. Uh, They don't understand the macro. They don't understand accounting. They are not auditors. And the the auditors don't understand. So we have to create people that actually can understand what government is. Because government is policy, politics, and complexities. We cannot hope to address this with a single tool. Last plea, diagnostics, I think we have way too many. They can always be improved. What I found a little bit of an aberration that they'll be used as a mandatory point of view to fill this kind of fiduciary role, but they haven't been designed to do that, number one. And they only work if they're genuinely requested and asked by country. If we we keep imposing this on country every three years, what we developed, and we have developed already, is a compliance-oriented mentality, is a study to detect reaction, instead of actually going and dig deeper to understand what the problems might look like. So that's where we're really sort of, again, as a donors community, I think we really kind of reflect on this, because I don't think we've been terribly helpful from the last decade or so I'm
1: just I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm trying to <laughs> surprise all of you just keep you on your toes you don't know wh- who's coming next okay Lorraine <laughs> <laughs> <You> <laughs> want, yeah please please no, no, because no, yeah. no, for you've for for got a train for for to
2: catch so I, I yeah. uh, sorry, uh, sorry sorry <laughs> No, I want to get, uh, pick up on several points. First of all, um I, one minute, though. Yeah, <laughs> I don't share. I don't share the impression that the plumbing is fixed. Uh, this may be the case for certain uh, certain countries, uh, but uh, certainly not for the re- for the con- uh, regions I follow, uh, which is Africa. Um, we see. Uh, uh, progress in certain areas but uh, also um, uh, stagnation and regress in some areas and very often this is the case for the basic things that are missing so um, that my answer to the question from over there it is not a quest it is not a question of uh, building capacities in finance ministries versus sector ministries these have to be parallel processes and we have to accept and see that uh, public finance management pro, uh, reform is a long-term long-term process that ha- has to continue, that has to go on. Um, I'm I can certainly agree on uh, that we need more analytical, uh, more analytical tools I, I wouldn't see this as a, as a new institutional paradigm but it's certainly an important aspect that we need to be more analytical and also that we need to tackle more the political economy constraints because when we are talking about the problem dr- driven approach I couldn't agree more but the reason why um, approaches to PFM reform are not uh, in many cases not problem-driven is because there is a lack of political leadership at the at the highest level or at least at the ministerial level if not beyond the Ministry of Finance and then we get an accumulation of um, uh, ac- actions and needs into huge programs that are not prioritized not focused and not followed up and uh, that uh, reap very very little results. Thank
1: you. Meaning,
4: meaning, Okay, uh, I'll be very quick. So, I just wanted to build on um, what uh, Andrew said before he left. I actually, I liked, um, I think I'm inclined to agree with what he said about, you know, a paradigm, um, a new institutional paradigm, uh, because it helps to solve, um, in my sense, I'm not 100% sure that uh, we, by just working. Better the way we've been working will get to it because if that's the case, why haven't we? Because we've been trying to do that, right? Um, I and I also why.
3: Sorry, I can give a long list of why. <laughs> <Let's>. Okay. <laughs>
4: um, but on, on the other hand, you know, I'm quite uncomfortable with this notion that there needs to be this huge uh, fundamental change. So I think that that's like a good uh, midway. Having said that, though, I do want to say something that i um, I've heard quite a. In this conference, but also here generally in these kinds of conversations, uh, goes back to this tension between the Ministry of Finance and Ministry of Health at the country level. Um, to say that I'm not sure that I agree that there is, uh, particularly within the Ministry of Finance, a lack of interest in service delivery or um, outcomes. I do think that there is a lot of interest. I used to work in the Ministry of Finance, and these were issues that did come up. Um, I now work with ministries of finance, even though I'm not in the Ministry of Finance. Um and, and very often, you know, you hear the DJ of budget asking you, well if I pay more in if I give the health sector more money for RI, how do I know that coverage rates will actually increase? They really care about these issues. I do think though that what is different and what needs to change is this issue of incentives. Mm-hmm. In as much as they care, if at the end of the day they are judged by you know, um, broader issues around fiscal discipline, aggregates, that will always be their reflective um, response. So it's more about changing the incentives to um, match their interests. So just to say that I do think that some of these shifts are already happening, essentially. Thanks. Great.
1: Thank you. Lorraine?
5: Um, I hope you're going to do the last word. I will do the last one. Right. So my second to last word is um, I think um, that... uh, on the issue of the I think Leslie's point about the lessons for development partners I think the there's a need for health the health sector reformer particularly the health sector financing reform fraternity just as much as the PFM fraternity, fraternity to um, look at um, Lessons for reform design and for reform sequencing. I think both. If if a paradigm shift is needed anywhere towards a more problem-driven and therefore incremental and prioritised approach, it probably starts with the um, development community and particularly with the development community that work on system type complex system type issues, and 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 in that category we've got the health system reformers. Um, probably some education system reformers um, and the PFm um, fraternity I think we just um, we, we, where we've done harm it's because we have gone for overreach within the complexity and radicalness of of our um, of, of the reforms we're promulgating and and we haven't kind of we haven't stepped forward building the um, kind of sequencing reforms to build the capacities that we need for reform as we go um, and but I, I would I would say that while we do all of this kind of um, self-scrutiny and Maya culpa activity, which is which we should all do and is very salutary, we should first do no harm. Um, in many countries that I'm working in now, there is a, a, a declining role for traditional de- development partners and an expanding role for non-traditional partners. The non-traditional p- partners aren't engaged with either of these system agendas, in, the, in my experience. Um, and I, I, I think that, uh, um, that 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 some of the issues around kind of risks and adverse effects that, that we're all um, beating ourselves up about probably haven't been experienced and worked through by some of those newer non-traditional partners. And I, I think we do face a challenge of how to, um, in both the health systems fraternity and the PFM fraternity, how do we how do we seek to, um, constructive um, ways of engagement and common ground with some of those new partners?
1: Thank you. Um, so I will give my three lessons, the three things that I learnt, that I, or, or three reflections that I had. I, I agree with what Chisholm said actually, that there is a, you know, a, a common interest in seeing um, services improved. But one thing I've heard actually quite clearly is there is actually quite different theories within the room about how to get there. Um, some people are of the view that th- you know, a finance ministry can drive improvements to service delivery through um, strengthening compliance mechanisms, but we've heard alternative theories about actually relaxing rules in some cases. Now, they, they may be able to reconcile in one theory, but people are actually thinking about these things quite differently, so, so that's one thing. I think that the second thing, I heard, I've just heard now a lot of people saying we need to be more problem-driven. And I suppose I would agree with that. A concern I have about PFM people sometimes when they say that is the assumption is that the problem is in my toolkit Uh, and it's around the budget cycle and it's related to the PFM system. And I think actually this morning we heard that not all public spending problems necessarily through the national budget we heard about decentralisation. We heard about services that are, you know, the government may play more of a regulatory role. So we need to be careful about sort of preaching problem-driven, but actually already thinking that we've got the toolkit to fix it. And I think the third thing, and and I took a lot actually from shaye's comments, I around um, the role of knowledge. I think as a kind of research strategy, I think there has been a lot of. Okay, PFM is something that, rightly, people think is important, the administrative, core administrative capacities of government. We also think service delivery is important, and so we're going to do a research to try and find some kind of linear relationship between those two things. And actually, I think we could learn a lot more by just figuring out what is happening in certain places, why that's happening, this case study evidence, I think, would be enormously important for enhancing our knowledge. So that hopefully, when we do 2.0, we have some more from pragmatic solutions. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. For more ODI live event podcasts, find us on SoundCloud or subscribe to the Overseas Development Institute podcasts via iTunes.